My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, everybody. Well, welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. We're uh, back in Mark today, in Mark chapter 6. So if you got your Bibles, head over there. And uh, while you're heading over there, just a quick review. You should have a handout on your table. And if you flip over to the back side of your handout at the bottom, the very last page on the bottom is a... Uh, this is what our homework is each week. So just want to review quickly. This is our expectations for members before we walk into the room that we have prayed for help in understanding Mark, that we have heard Mark, specifically the text that we're looking at multiple times, that we have thought about Mark, that we have talked with somebody about Mark and shared our insights about Mark and then invited a member and a non-member. So if you have questions about who's a member and who's not, I'd love to be able to help you out with that. But they, those are our, uh, our homework items on a weekly basis. And we'll be, in the next couple of weeks, baking in some self-reflection time around, are we doing this? Are we doing this well? What are ways to do this? What are ways to do this well? Uh, so that'll be coming as we uh, move a little bit further into Mark. So our question that we start with each week, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? It's one of my favorite parts of Sunday school. So. Somebody would like to share this morning about what God is doing in you through the portion of Mark we've studied so far. I'll tell you, an easy way to cheat at this is to take your uh, journal, your Mark journal, and flip back and look and see what you have written down. Um, so it's an easy way that I find to answer this particular question. So who'd like to share this morning? Miss Darley, you're bursting. Yeah, they thought he was too. So, yeah. yeah. So, what is God teaching you? What He's doing in you through His Word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah. We're going to look at a lot of that as we go through the rest of uh, Mark. So there'll be quite a bit of that coming. I'm excited to explore some of that. I actually uh, ordered a book on Amazon, and it arrived uh, Friday, Saturday. And the title of it is The Gospel According to Satan. So this is uh, twisted theological perspectives that are propagated amongst uh, Christians in churches today. Jared Wilson. 
He's very good. Solid theological guy. Um, some of you will remember the series that we did seven, eight, nine years ago. Uh, dumb things smart Christians believe. Very similar type of a concept, except this is a bit more direct. Um, it, it, I was hoping to get the packaging that shows up. It's a, it's a black box, and it's got the word Satan written across the top. And these went out all across America to uh, Christian homes, and we can only wonder what the UPS guys were thinking as they were delivering these. But uh, perhaps that would have started some gospel conversations. Yeah, <laughs> conversations. All right, so what is God doing in you? Now remember, this is not what have I learned. This is what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far. Have you always been this way? No, and praise God. Let's launch off from there. That's a good spot. So what do we do next in our Sunday school? We read. That's exactly right. So if you've got a copy of Mark, feel free to read along. Uh, I'm going to read Mark chapter 6 out loud. Uh, Mark 6 is one of the longer chapters in Mark. Uh, nine is longer and 14 is like it, it never ends. It's incredibly long. Uh, but six is a spectacular amount of stuff that's going on uh, that Jesus is doing and walking through. So just to, as a quick review, we're coming right off the heels of chapter five. He's just healed the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter. Remember, Jairus was the leader of the synagogue in that place. So keep that in mind as we, as we walk through today's text. Uh, Mark chapter 6. He went away away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, He is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. 
For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Because of the oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and saying a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And all who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening had come, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages and cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored them that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. 
I thought I was doing an okay job, but somebody wanted to compete. I don't know. That was a... <laughs> Sometimes you acknowledge disruptions, and it's fine. I love the fact that somebody had their Bible open. That's fantastic. So, doesn't bother me. So, Mark chapter 6. So, if we think about Mark as a literary work, because it is, we are introduced to several new elements in Mark chapter 6. Several new, so now you're just going to do it for spite, right? <clears throat> That's awesome. What's funny is you can't hear this on the podcast. So it just sounds like I'm talking to myself at random in the middle of the lesson. It's absolutely, I, I get tickled when I listen to it sometimes. So, so we're introduced to several new people, uh, Mary and Jesus's brothers and sisters. And, and hopefully you've thought through this concept that he had an earthly family and there were people that knew him and grew up with him. Um, as well as a perspective, as uh, Darla and Josh have pointed out already, on how Jesus was actually viewed in his own hometown. So let's take a look at uh, Mark chapter 6. So this is the front page of your handout, if you got your handout. And this is the handout for today and for next week. So you have your handout for next week as well. We're very unlikely to get through all of this today. So he, so who's the he? Jesus, right? So he, Jesus went away from there. Where were they? They just left Jairus' place, right? Okay, so they just left Jairus' place. And they came to his hometown. Where was his hometown? There you go. Good. Now, this is one of those situations where if you are new to the New Testament and you are reading Mark chapter 6 and you go, how did everybody know that? Right? Well, there are other Gospels that give us a lot more detail. Mark is the get-to-the-point kind of gospel. So we, we know this from uh, other places. So he, he comes to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And, and sometimes we, we skip past through these little, these little phrases sometimes. His disciples followed him. They had just seen some stuff that, that we can tell from chapter 6 that they have not fully processed yet. Right? This is not the group of men who are ready at this time to lead the church. They are in development, right? So think back to your walk with the Lord 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And imagine if somebody wrote down what you did and what you believed and how you behaved at that point. I would like editorial control, <laughs> right? So I, I, I want to be as gracious as we can to these folks because they're really, really deep in process at this point, right? They are not fully formed. And, and even when they were leading the church, they were not fully formed, right? So we're in process, they're in process, so we're going to give them some grace as they watch some things as they go through. So next page on your handout, verse 2. And on the Sabbath, so what was the Sabbath? It's the day of worship. It's the day of rest. This is the day of uh, abstaining intentionally from work. Right? This is an intentional, purposeful decision to not uh, work on this particular day. This is a day of rest. This is instituted by uh, God himself. Um, 
exampled back in Genesis 1. He creates the earth and the universe in six days and rests on the seventh day. So on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. So let's, let's pause there for just a second. Where did he just come from? He just come from whose house? Jairus's house. So I don't want to get into too much speculation, but if Jairus's daughter comes back to life, would it be reasonable to think that Jairus might tell somebody? Like, I, I feel like we're on relatively safe ground that he might mention this to somebody, right? Okay, cool. And if he was one of the leaders of the synagogue, he might have friends in other places. But what was Jesus doing on the day of worship? Let's get more basic. Where was he on the day of worship? In the synagogue. Right. So don't miss the example, right? Don't miss the example. And he's not just sitting, he's serving. So he began to teach in the synagogue. Now imagine this. Just picture this for a second. So you've, you grew up with this guy. You've heard all kinds of stories. He hadn't been back in a minute, and he shows up, and he stands up to teach. Right? Do you, so, so, Josh, you've had this experience with somebody, right? It's like, you're different. <laughs> okay? And many who heard him were astonished. So, Darla mentioned this word just a second ago, and I'm, I've highlighted it too. We want to explore this just a little bit. So, the first time we see this word in Mark is Mark 1.22. So, we're going to look at the, opportun- look at the instances of this word astonished. Um, Mark 1.22, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching. So both times we've seen this word used, it's in response to Jesus' actual teaching. So he's doing something that is astonishment-worthy in the synagogue at this point. So then flip ahead to Mark 7, 37. And Jesus, this is verse 36, uh, this is the, the deaf man. Um, uh, Jesus charged them to tell no one, but more, the more he charged them, the more the zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf hear and the mute speak. So again, this word astonishment in relation to Jesus. Look at Mark 10, 26. So he is teaching here. He's talking to the rich young man. And uh, in verse 25, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And they were astonished at what he was saying. So again, astonishment at his teaching. Uh, and then Mark eleven eighteen. So this is a spectacularly misinterpreted text when he cleanses the temple. Um, he talks in 17 about uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. You've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. So he had something that he was saying and doing and behaving in a way that was fundamentally different. And we're actually given the answer to what this is in other portions of the scripture. So somebody tell me what the actual answer is. Come on, Mitch. I was like, you, you are like, I, I, I love it 
when I beat all around a point and I just watch Mitch start to rock. He's like, you've got to say it. You've got, I'm going to burst. And so he's rocking over there. What, what's the difference? He taught with authority. Why was he teaching with authority? He was the authority. That's exactly right. This is the word teaching the word. You, you literally can't get any better than that. Right? So whoever the, the best Bible teacher is that you know pales in comparison to what was happening here. And this is real. This is good. Yes, ma'am. Give it, give it back to me then. So they taught, so-and-so says. Yes. Right? And so-and-so says, and so-and-so says. So they build on this line of authority, if you will. Yep. They don't, they don't build on, they don't come out and say, this is the truth. Right. Like, this is, this is what it is. And so that was really the difference with Jesus is that he didn't come and bring all the other people to the table <laughs> what they thought, what they believed. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for reminding me of that. I don't remember that. <laughs> so, um, any this is going to sound uh, arrogant. Any given Sunday, I'm looking at this text. 10, 12, 15 hours, right? Thinking through, sketching out where we're going, how's this going to work, how's this connected to what's forward and backward. So when some, I love this when somebody does this. Like, you, you, don't, you remember what you said, right? No. <laughs> like, that was, that was a couple hundred hours of study. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing great to get my stuff together Sunday morning for the 38 minutes that I've got. So that's, but thank you. I appreciate you remembering. That's fantastic. Yes. Right. Because who else had ever done this? Yeah. Nobody had ever done this. And if somebody else had done this, what would they have done to them? Drone them out, drove them out, stoned them. And what did they try to do with Jesus? Try to drive him out, conspired against him. The priests and the, 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 chief, uh, the chief priests and the, the whole religious structure, they understood what was going on here. This was a, this is a direct assault against their borrowed authority. It's different. And they're what? Oh, yeah. They wanted more, right? Yeah. You give somebody a little bit of power, you, you instantly want more. It's, it's shockingly awful. And the crazy thing is that what does Jesus do later on in Mark chapter 6? He takes his power and his authority and he, I don't want to say share, but he, he allows the disciples to partake in that, right? It's, it's mind-boggling. All right. So Josh, you had something. No? Okay, cool. So those who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? Now, I've highlighted a couple of things here. Uh, I've highlighted the G3778, uh, and then singular G3778, and then plural. So this is um, the, basically the same Greek word with a different kind of a twist on it twice. So the, the, the English translation, where did this man get these things, is just three Greek words. It's 
I, I can't pronounce these, but Pathan, Hotus, and Hotus. And basically it's, uh, way, when you said this a while ago, Darla, I was like, how did you know that was where I was actually literally going to go? But because you, I gave it to you, right? Yeah. So you mean you looked at it between now and then? That's fantastic. You're allowed to do that? When I give it to you, there you go. That was, it's never a full compliment. It's not, it's like, it's like, boom, there we go. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. I'm trying to get better. So everybody gets the bar raised. So where this, that, it's extremely inarticulate. This is, this is it's like, what? This? That? Like, what? I love it. I love the lack of words here in the original. So what is the wisdom, the Sophia? It's the only time this word is used in the Gospel of Mark. And it's talking about who? Talking about who? Jesus. There we go. Now, here's a word. This word matters theologically. Where is the wisdom given to him? This is passive. This means somebody took what they had and gave it to Jesus. This is communicating a spectacular amount of theology on behalf of the people speaking here. Because what they're assuming that it wasn't his wisdom to begin with. They're assuming it was somebody else's wisdom that was given to... Like, they're looking around going, who passed this to him? And what he's just doing is just a little bit of... <laughs> just showing just a little bit of who he... Had. And, and, you know, at the end of the book, in Revelation, it's the whole, here we go, Right? For those of you that didn't aware of what I was just doing, it's a Superman reference. So there you go. So where did this man get these things? Where? What? This? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works, such dunamis, done by his hands? <laughs> Because they'd heard, right? People talk. We don't have record that he had done a bunch of stuff in his hometown yet. So this is, the only way they would have heard this is other places coming in. And, and we see this in Mark chapter 6, right? We see this where the, uh, they, they start to bring people to him, right? And word gets out and they hear, he's going to be over there. Well, everybody rushes over there. It's a big deal. So how do you do these mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? So let's talk about just a little bit about the carpenter. So why would they call him a carpenter? Because he was a carpenter. Yes, that's right. Why was he a carpenter? Because his daddy was a carpenter. A Jewish father had a responsibility to teach his son a trade. Even if you were going to be a rabbi. You had to have a trade. So if the rabbinical path didn't work out, you had something to fall back on and you could provide for a family at some point. You had to learn a trade. Now, up to this point, what appears to be a predominant trade that we see over and over and over again in the Gospels? Fishing, right? It's just fishing and fishing and fishing and more fishing 
and fishing. And you know what? Let's have some fish. What should we have with the fish? A different kind of fish. And then some bread, but more fish, right? It's just, and I'm not a fish guy. I don't, like, oh, that's a lot of fish, you know? <laughs> but Joseph was a carpenter. So he taught Jesus how to be a carpenter, which is shockingly beautiful. Shockingly, stunningly beautiful. Because what does God use back in Genesis chapter 3 to cover the sins of Adam and Eve? Leaves that come off of a what? Some kind of a plant or a tree. What, does, what is Jesus trained in as far as his trade? He's trained in carpentry. What is he affixed to where he dies? Wood, right? What is at the end of all things? There's another tree in Revelation at the end. The whole story of the Bible actually occurs between two trees. And this is the awful Zach Galifianakis joke, but it's not ferns. There's two trees that bound the whole story of Scripture. And it's stunning. And if you want to do a really interesting Bible study, you can do a Bible study on wood and trees and how God uses them to tell a very interesting story all the way through Scripture. And I don't think it's any accident that God put him in a family with a carpenter at the head. There's a lot being communicated here. So don't miss the little details. And this is a little one that Mark gives us that we don't typically get in Mark. So the carpenter, is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary. Now there's about 7,000 Marys in the New Testament. It can be extraordinarily confusing. So uh, what I would love for you to do this week is to go, you see I've highlighted all those verses right there in Mark. Those are all the the instances where a Mary is mentioned. Uh, actually, uh, uh, Dr. Strong says that there's six different Christian females. We think. It feels like there's six. There might be nine. There might be five. But it, it feels like there's six in the New Testament. And then I want to cover this real quick. So, and brother, and this is Adelphus. This is the, when, when you see the word uh, in the New Testament, for a Christian has another Christian and they're brothers. This is the word. It's not a different word for, well, there was a, there's like a word for blood brother, and then there's a word for Christian brother. No, it's the same word. It's the same thing. So Tim, you and I do not have the same mama, but we got the same daddy, right? We're brothers, and that's awesome. Because I don't have a, well, I guess I do. We are blood brothers, aren't we? Right. That's, no, 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 no. We're blood brothers, one generation removed, the blood of Jesus Christ. Right. So the, I got a buddy of mine, and he went to the ER. I took him to the ER. And, uh, and uh, the nurse was like, well, his wife wasn't there. She was coming a little bit later. And the nurse was like, well, you know, who are you? I can't, I only that family back. I was like, I'm his brother. And he, he kind of looks at me real far. I was like, we got the same daddy. And he, he was, she was like, okay, great, come on back. And he just looks at me, he's like, that was good. That was, <laughs> I did not lie. That is theologically sound and good. So if you need me to show up at the ER, I can get in the room with you. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> so the brother... Of James, right? 
James shows up in a big way elsewhere in the New Testament. He's a, he's a big, towering figure. And, and Joseph, you're like, Joseph? Who's Joseph? All right. And Judas, now this is not Iscariot, all right? Just, there's a bunch of Judases as well. And Simon, so how many brothers he got? That are listed here. Four. And are not his sisters, Adelphae. This is the, the female version of this here with us. So if you got plural sisters, how many do you at least have to have? Two. So here's our math lesson for today. Four plus two plus one. How many kids at least did Mary have? Seven kids. Now, we're not going to draw a bunch of crazy inferences from seven. Oh, this was complete. The family's done. Stop with your numerology. Go burn those books. Good gracious. Just stick with the text. If the Bible says the number's significant, run with that. If it doesn't, quit making stuff up. Okay? Just, I, I didn't get enough sleep last night, so you're just getting the blunt version of Jim this morning. So this is the way this is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll leave those alone. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things. So we're out of time. We'll end the lesson here. So a couple of things I want you to go look up. Those instances where Mary shows up, those instances where Joseph shows up, those instances where the word Judas shows up, does that sound good? And we'll come back next week and talk a little bit about where else do we see his family coming to bear and what kind of a picture do we get from all of this? Now, your homework is still on the back at the bottom of page 170. Pray for help in understanding Mark, hearing Mark multiple times, thinking about Mark day and night, uh, talking with somebody about Mark, sharing your insights about Mark, and then inviting a member or a non, and a non-member. And then if you want any of the resources for our class, they're all available at OurSundaySchool.com. All the stuff's there. You can go look, download, watch, whatever suits your fancy. So uh, you should have a weekly update on your table. Now, we have a good attendance Sunday this morning. Goal for next Sunday is that we invite as we should, and we need to set up 14 tables next week. Okay? We got plenty of room in this room. We're good to go. So weekly update right now. Read through each table. Pick a section. Pray through all of the prayer requests on that section. Make any changes or updates. Once you have finished praying as a group, you are dismissed to go and to worship the Word as we hear from the Word, and it is wonderful. So thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.